Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. This morning, we're going to continue in Mark 1, uh, verses 29 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. I'm going to pray for our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, as he walks us through the word this morning. Lord, you are so good. You are so good to us on warm days and on rainy days and on chilly fall mornings, God. And um, every cup of coffee or, yes, pumpkin spice latte or, God, everything you give us is a gift. And it's so, um, for me in my heart, it's so easy to see that right now, Lord God. But, yes, there is there is trouble in the world. And I'm encouraged in this in this passage because we see here that you meet needs. You recognize when people are sick. You recognize when people are oppressed. You recognize your own need. You you did recognize your own need uh, to be alone and to be in communion um, with the Holy Trinity. Lord God, I pray that we would see all of that and more today. Open our eyes and and soften our hearts. Challenge us and exhort us in the ways that you see fit. Lord, I pray for Billy. Give him wisdom. Give him um, clarity of mind. And give him discernment as he walks with morning. I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, yes, we're going to continue on throughout the gospel of Mark. Um, Something that I will just let you guys know, those of you who are like, hey, like, this is cold. I don't think I could do this. A couple quick things. One, this is a temporary cold front. It's going to get warm again. It's the south, y'all, so don't freak out if that bothers you. Two, we're going to buy y'all some hot hands, okay? So we're going to try and help you out, keep you warm um, for at least the, the shorter season here while we're still outside for a bit. So jumping into Mark chapter 1, one of the things that I kept thinking about was several years ago, I was interning at a church in Missouri, and I got tickets to a film fest. Now let me say this, I was not a film fest guy, right? I was doing this internship and didn't really know much about what was going on, but every year in Columbia, Missouri, there's this big international documentary film festival called True False. Never heard of it, never went, was given tickets and thought, okay, yeah, why not? I'll go. And uh, I went and it was this really incredible experience where I saw this whole like amazing moving film about a high school football team in Memphis and just the struggle that they were going through. And then after the film was over, 
they talk about how, hey, this movie just won an Academy Award, and we're all like, oh, that's really cool. That's so neat. And then they're like, also, you know, the directors like, that were in the film, they're here, and they come out on stage with an Oscar, and then one of the football players is there, and I'm losing my mind. It was so cool because all of a sudden I wasn't just at a movie. I was at an event, and it was like, that guy's real. He's here. I know I sound silly, but I loved it. It was so cool to kind of watch these stories unfold, to kind of put yourself into different places all around the world to see these different characters and just kind of experience a day in the life of whatever person you were seeing on the screen. And again, it was so awesome because after the movie was over, the subjects of the film, the people you had just kind of shared a little bit of their life with, they were there at the festival and it was really exciting and really cool. So Keep that in mind because that's kind of what we're doing today. Today we're looking at a day in the life of Jesus. Right? Last week we, we started the day, we saw the beginning of the day where he's in Capernaum and he's teaching in the synagogue as one who has authority. And today we encounter what happens just after that. Like what, What's next? And so as we look at a day in the life of Jesus, we're going to actually see his heart. What is it that, that Jesus came to do? What is it that motivates Jesus, that, that pushes Jesus, that propels Jesus forward? And this is what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is kind of the summary of the gospel of Mark. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus' MO, right? Is to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many. He has this unbelievable heart. He has this incredible motivation to stoop down to humanity and showcase this unbelievable willingness to just give of himself. Here's here's my hope, right? So we're going to look at this story of Jesus. We're going to see this encounter that he has where he's bringing healing. Again, he's 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 delivering people from oppression and he gets away to pray. What what, what do I want you guys to see. Well, my hope is that as we reflect on this text, as we look at the life of Jesus, we would be challenged and inspired to do two things. That we would be challenged to serve like Jesus, and we would be challenged to pray like Jesus. Serve like Jesus, pray like Jesus. As we again unfold Christ's heart, my hope is that you would be challenged in these two arenas. So to do that, we're going to jump back into the passage and see the heart of Christ unfold. And here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see the heart of a healer. The heart of a healer. Let's look back at the passage, verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever then left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So again, here's the scene. Jesus, right, he was just in the synagogue last week. He had just preached with authority, authority like nobody in Capernaum had ever heard. Not only that, 
He cast out an unclean spirit that was in a man in the synagogue. It was already a really big day. And you got to think, man, the disciples, they're still kind of riding off that energy that they had just witnessed. So now, man, it's time to go and relax. It's time to go kick it. It's time to have lunch, right? It's Sunday lunchtime. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You're already thinking about what's at home in the crock pot. And that is what was happening here. They're ready to go. They're ready to eat. They're ready to relax. But no, because it turns out the place they were going that was really close by, well, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus goes in at once. He gently takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. And in so doing, he heals her. Luke says in the parallel account of this story that he rebuked the fever. Matthew in his account says he touched her. So when we read Mark, we kind of get this full composite picture of what happened. Jesus heads towards this sick woman. He takes her by the hand. He rebukes the fever and gently raises her up to a room full of shocked disciples. Now, Jesus could have healed her any way he pleased. He could have gone in and just kind of looked at her and she would have been well, right? But what we see here is this natural, instinctive action of compassion. It's something that we're going to see from Jesus over and over. In fact, next week, we're going to see his compassion on full display. We see here the extended hand of Christ. It's an expression of his genuine love and his willingness to meet this need. This touch tells us volumes about what Jesus is like, about how much he loves us. To touch us with healing, with love, that is Christ's instinctive way. That's his healing heart. Friends, this is what he wants to do with each and every soul. Those who know him, those who don't. All who need a touch of grace. And what should this do? Well, this should be a delight to our hearts. That the immortal God would stoop down to humanity to serve us with a healing touch. Man, that should fill us with delight. But here's what I want you to notice. What happens next? What happens next? Well, Peter's mother-in-law, what does she do when she's healed? She serves them. She serves them. Immediately, she gets to action. I was talking to Hannah this week about this passage and how amazing it is that her immediate response was to worship Jesus by serving him. And Hannah said, well, she doesn't just serve Jesus, does does it say that? Or does it say that she serves all of them? And I looked back, and she's right. She serves all of them. (laughs) What a picture. What a picture for us. That once our hearts have received the healing touch of Jesus. It's our delight to serve Jesus, to serve him, and to serve others in worship to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, he uh, was preaching one Sunday, and as soon as the sermon was over, he was greeted by an extremely excited and talkative young woman. She came up to him, and she was so excited. She was going on and on and on about everything that happened. He was kind of almost taken aback by like, whoa, you are really excited. And she said, sir, Christ changed my life and he shall never hear the end of it. I love that. I love that. You see, we respond to Jesus with hearts of action, ready to go to love and to serve others. Now listen, we, we, we don't see the story end here, right? You would think Jesus, man, he's had a full day. 
He was preaching in the synagogue. He was casting out unclean spirits, demons, and now he's healed someone. Again, we think that would be the end, but it's not, right? I I would personally think, man, it's totally okay for Jesus to clock out at this point, right? He can just chill, kick his legs up, and relax. But as soon as the sun goes down, there's a knock at the door. And wouldn't you know it? There's a massive group of people who are sick, who are broken. Why, why do they wait till night, right? Why not come to Jesus in the middle of the day? Well, again, this was the Sabbath, and they were under the strict rule of the scribes, so much so that they could do nothing of any kind of work on the Sabbath. So they waited and waited all day long to come to Jesus, They saw what had happened in the morning. They saw him speak with authority. Word had probably gotten around that Peter's mother-in-law is starting to feel a little bit better. Could this be the time, finally, could this be the moment that their ailments would finally go away? So Jesus, he answers the door and he begins serving with compassion. Jesus is not distracted. He's not kind of put off by this. Jesus possesses two things here, both tenderness and power. Jesus has both tenderness and power. See, usually tender people lack strength and strong people lack gentleness. But Jesus shows both goodness and strength. Now again, Jesus could have opened the door and said, look, y'all, it's been a long day. Y'all come back tomorrow and I'll take care of you then. But instead, Jesus begins to heal their infirmaries. He begins to cast out demons and he keeps the demons silent. He didn't permit them to speak that he was the Messiah, because again, he knew that that would only feed into the Jesus mania that was sparking in Capernaum. Jesus knew that his Messiahship, his role as a servant was to be characterized by service, was to be characterized by suffering. It wasn't supposed to be a, a sensational display of miraculous activity that only would excite political Messiah fever. Jesus came to serve in a different way. Now, this picture of Jesus to me, as I read this passage and as I reflected on who Jesus is, is mind-boggling. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus is the God-man. He is fully God, fully man. He just spoke with authority. Again, Jesus just speaks, and by the word of his power, demons flee. He could have simply, again, opened the door. He could have seen this huge crowd. And by just the power of a single word, he could have healed all of them. But instead, Jesus takes time. He takes time. He gives his personal touch. Here's what I love about Jesus. You see, reading the Gospels, seeing Jesus, I see something about love. Love is not efficient. Love is not efficient. I want to be efficient a lot in my life. I'm thinking, what's the quickest way? What's the fastest way? What's the best way? Let's do this. Let's go. That's not Jesus. Years ago, when the Exxon Valdez spilled thousands of gallons of crude oil in Alaska, the company's president dismissed this suggestion from so many people that he would go and see the damage, see the result of what had happened. And the reason, he said, is that the trip would be a waste of his time. You see, he had the power but he lacked the goodness. What might it have done to his heart to have gotten down in the muck and cleaned up a few geese? You see, that's what Jesus does. 
Jesus gets in the muck. Jesus shows us how to serve, how to love, how to look, feel, and then help. If we help somebody, but we don't take the time to look at the person, to feel what he or she is feeling, then our love is cold. But if we look and we feel, but we don't do what we can to help, then our love is cheap. You see, love does both. I have to say to my shame, I, I pass by opportunities to extend the compassion of Christ in my service to others because I say, oh, I'm just too busy. I got too much going on. I don't have the time right now. Coram Deo, what might it look like if we had the heart of Christ? What might it look like if we allowed life to be interrupted? How might we then react? See, do you and I live with expectant hearts, ready to showcase compassion, ready to serve others like Jesus? Do we sacrifice love for efficiency? Would we yearn to serve and love others with a Christ-like heart? Would we allow ourselves to be interrupted to see gospel invasion in big and small ways? Would we serve like Jesus? So Jesus heals. He casts out demons long into the evening. But the next morning, he gets up early. And this is where we see another part of Christ's heart. The second thing we see here is we see the heart of a son. So we saw first the heart of a healer. Now let's look at the heart of a son. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So after such an eventful day, Jesus doesn't sleep in. Nope. He gets up early, wakes up early while it's still dark. Some of you guys, uh, you haven't done that in a while, and that's okay. Jesus gets up real early. He goes out to spend time alone in prayer with his father. Again, in this moment, what we see is the heart of the son. Jesus goes to be alone with God. He goes to be alone with God the Father to have this exchange of soul between him and his father. Here's the thing that this early prayer shows us. You see, it shows us, it exposes Jesus's humanity. It exposes Jesus's humanity. See, yes, Jesus is God, but he does not live his life as God apart from the Father. But rather, he lays that down. That's what Philippians tells us. He, ta- he takes that down. He does not think that we can grasp equality with God. He lays that down and he lives as a man in dependence upon God. He says in John, it says in John 5, 19, he says, Jesus, the son can do nothing on his own accord. And in John 14, he says, the words that I say, I do not speak on my authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. You see, Jesus is depending on the father for his power. One of the reasons Jesus did this was because he wants you and I to live our lives on the same basis that he did. Again, we talked about that that Jesus was our example. 
If Jesus prayed, catch this, if Jesus prays in order to have a godly life full of power, so must we. So must we. Think about this. Jesus, again, he's the eternal God incarnate. He's the creator of all. He holds everything together by the word of his power, and yet he still lived by and in prayer. You see, the call is for you and I to pray like Jesus. Pray like Jesus. Now, I've heard people say, hey, listen, you know, Bill, all of life is prayer. My whole life is prayer. I don't need specific set times of prayer. I'm always in a prayerful spirit, right? Paul said pray without ceasing. I'm kind of always in this eternal you know, dialogue with God the Father. But listen, until you or I exceed the oneness of Jesus with the Father, that can't be right. You see, Christ lived in the spirit of prayer, yes, meaning we pray there's a long dialogue happening throughout the day, but he also needed regular times of prayer. And so do we. We need regular times when we get alone with God. Martin Luther famously said, I have so much to do today, I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. Before you have a panic attack and think that the application is that, I'm not saying we need to go out and pray three hours each and every day, but I am saying all of us must spend some time with the Lord in prayer. If it is impossible right, when your family is awake, maybe you need to pray before they get up. If you can't find a place in your home because, again, your home is filled with loud, crazy people, right, that's fine, that's okay. Maybe that means that you need to hop in your car, pull over on your way to work, and pray. Maybe it needs you to need to pray when your kids go down for a nap. Well, why? Why do we do this? Because we need this time. Again, it doesn't have to be hours and hours of prayer, but we need to pray. We need to have that time exposure to God without interruption. Jesus did it, and we need to do it as well. Catch this. This is why we need it. When I say pray like Jesus, right, when, I, when I challenge us to do that, what I am saying is be dependent like Jesus. Be dependent like Jesus, right? What I'm not telling you to do is go be a super Christian that prays in King James. I'm not telling you to do that. I don't want you waking up at five in the morning, pouring you a cup of coffee and going, thy Lord, you have come upon me. Like, I don't need, you don't need to do that. I'm telling you that you need to be dependent like Jesus. Here's something from Michael Reeves that radically transformed the way I think about prayer. Here's what he said. He says, if God... If God was a single, independent person, then independence would be the godly thing. Now, here's the thing. we got to deconstruct this in us because a lot of us, we grew up, we're Americans. I think the way I think. I do what I need to do. Nobody needs me. I can do it all on my own. The gospel dismantles that because if God was a single, independent person, independence would be the godly thing. That would be how to be like him. But catch this, because the son always depends on the father, dependence, dependence is the nature of Christian godliness. Being a Christian is first and foremost all about receiving, asking, and depending. Again, we are all broken. We sang it this morning. His mercy is more. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are broken and needy and depending upon the Lord to save us. Being a Christian is first and foremost all about receiving, asking, and depending. It's when you and I don't feel needy, 
And so we don't pray much, that we lose our grip on reality, that we begin to think or act in an unchristian manner. In fact, as we grow as Christians, we should not feel more self-sufficient. I got this. I can do it on my own. But we should feel ever more needy. Prayer is enjoying the care of a powerful father instead of being left alone to this frightening loneliness where everything is on you. Everything is all down to you and your ability. Do you get that? Catch that. Greater growth in faith looks more like dependency, knowing that I don't have it all together. And so because of that, you depend on God. Listen, Coram Deo, prayer is not an abstract activity. It's not this abstract activity, this weird concept. It is the chief exercise of faith. Think about what your prayers are actually like. Perhaps it's time for for you and I to have a little self-exercise of diagnosis. If prayer is the chief exercise of faith, then why don't we pray? Be honest. I think the reasons could be really revealing. Do you feel like you don't have time? That's revealing of self-dependence probably. Do you not see the Father as one you actually want to spend time with? Well, that's also revealing. And you'll need a, a new side of the glory of Christ to reawaken faith in you. Maybe it's that deep down you struggle to believe that this truly is the Lord's world, that he's truly in control. Prayerlessness often indicates that mindset. We need to really think deeply on this. But as we reflect, we need to be encouraged by the Psalms that say the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. What might it look like for you to pray to approach the Lord? Well, what do Christ's prayers look like? How do we pray? What does that mean? What should we pray like? Well, again, if we look to Jesus, we see prayers that begin with praise to God. We see prayers for the coming of the kingdom and the completion of God's will on earth. We do see prayers for provision, right? He teaches us to pray, Lord, give us our daily bread. We see prayers for forgiveness of our sins. We see prayers for protection from temptation and the evil one. We see prayers for the sending of laborers, of missionaries, church planters, pastors into the harvest. Those are specific things that Jesus tells us to pray for. Cormdale, let's fight to get alone with God, to pray like Jesus. So here's Jesus. He's alone with the Father. He's praying But even there, he's not safe. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You finally, you just think you got a minute alone, and then the next thing you hear is, Mom! Mom! You know what I mean? That's kind of what's happening with Jesus here. It's like, I'm fine, I'm alone, I'm with the Lord. And then Peter's like, Jesus, we've been looking everywhere for you. Where have you been? we got stuff to do. Let's go. You see, the disciples woke up, and Jesus was long gone. Where had he gone? Why wasn't he there? And so they go out and they search and they find Jesus. And here's what they're essentially saying. Jesus, everything was going so great yesterday. We got to get back to Capernaum. We got to capitalize on this moment. There's all these people. They're excited. They're anticipating. We got to go. 
But listen to Jesus. He's not interested at all. Again, the text shows us his answer in action. This is what he says. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, the heart of Jesus wasn't to get caught up in physical healings and political revolution. Jesus emphasized the kingdom come and the kingdom must advance. Physical healings, yes, they came, but Jesus was interested in something deeper. He was interested in the healing, in, in healing the spirit of mankind in salvation. Jesus wanted to give us a healing from bitterness, a healing from hatred, lust, anger, gossip, and the like. He was bringing about an eternal healing. Jesus' heart labored tirelessly to bring healing to needy men and women, and the same is still true today. Jesus knew that his road of healing, his road of serving, of praying, it led to a cross, a place where he would deal with all that truly ails us. His healing heart was and is a heart that lives and lived in prayer. His heart desires above all that we would experience the ultimate healing of the gospel. To those who are hearing this who don't know Christ, and I lay before you Jesus' heart. This is a heart of a healer, a heart of a son. It's a heart that beats for you. It's a heart that shows what true humanity is. It's a heart that heads to the cross to take on your shame, your brokenness, your pain. It's a heart that rose from the grave and offers to you newness of life. Would you come to Christ? For those who hear and know this healing, who know this Jesus, would you see that healing touch bringing you back to life? Would you follow after Jesus and serve others inefficiently with a heart of compassion, with a heart of love? Would you pray dependent? Again, realizing that it's not about having all your ducks in a row. It's not about feeling put together. It's about standing before God the Father and saying, I am a train wreck of a human being. I feel like I can't do anything right. I'm constantly in despair. It seems like the world's a mess. I'm tired. I'm anxious. And that we would cast that before him and realize that that is a lot more godly than standing up saying, I got it all together. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Jesus saw someone pray like that once. A Pharisee who was saying, God, thank you that I'm not like these broken people, but I'm so great. He said, God doesn't hear that prayer. He hears the prayer of the broken, those who are poor in spirit. Would we see that we should pray as those who are dependent on the Father, that we need Him to work in our lives, to produce steadfastness, to produce greater dependence? Would we serve like Jesus? Would we pray like Jesus? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You love us with this amazing grace and tenderness and power. Jesus, you don't just speak words and move on, but you look at us. You grab us by the hand and you raise us to newness of life. Lord, I pray that we would leave from this place being stirred to live like your servant, Jesus. 
I pray, God, that we would be those who serve in a way that showcases the love, the tenderness, the mercy, the compassion of Jesus. I pray, God, that we would be a people of prayer who would desire to to get alone with you, to pray prayers of dependence, to pray prayers, God, asking that you would work in power in our lives, realizing that we don't have to have it all together because we know the one who holds the universe simply by the word of his power. We're so grateful, God, for the hope that you've given us in Jesus. We're so grateful, Lord, for the example that you've given us in Jesus. Lead us out from this place to be those who love relentlessly, who serve like Jesus and pray like Jesus. All this we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.